sure. She is strong. She is true. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. She is sure. She is strong. She is true. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. You're tuned in to Word of Mom Radio here on the Word of Mom Media Network. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our show. We're an open book. My name is Chris McMurray. And I'm Gene McMurray. He's my husband. He'll be behind the scenes making sure everything is running smoothly. I'm still going to add my two cents, though. Well, I hope so. On this show, we're going to be discussing those difficult situations that a lot of families go through, but are often not talked about. Here we will, because like we said, we're an open book. Yes, we are. And how are you today, sweetheart? I'm good. I'm real good. Can you believe we have a podcast? I know. It's crazy. Are you nervous? I am a little bit, but I'm also looking forward to doing this project with you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's another new beginning for us. Yeah, we've had a lot of those. It's been a long and winding road for us. It sure has. In our relationship, we've dealt with marriage and divorce and remarriage to each other. Addiction, sobriety, losing a business because of injury, and the ultimate sorrow of losing our son. There's nothing more difficult, and I still can't believe it happened 10 years later, but sadly, it did. But that doesn't mean we don't talk about it. We need to talk about it. We have to talk about it. That's why we're here. But everyone has their troubles, not just us. I know. I know. But people have trouble talking about their pain. Is it embarrassment? Is it shame? Is it Facebook and Instagram and those wonderful, beautiful family pictures? So what I hope for this podcast is that we can discuss our reality, listen to, and help each other. Because we're not alone. So those Facebook memes we see all the time are not reality? I know. Can you believe it? No, they're not. You know, I can go back and give you an example from my childhood. When I was just 11, my dad passed away. After he was gone, we hardly ever talked about him for two reasons. One, it was uncomfortable. But secondly, we didn't know how to, what to say. We learned young to ignore that elephant in the living room. I know, I know. And I do remember the story that you talk about at your dad, the day of your dad's funeral. Yeah, everything was over. The the funeral was over. And we went to a friend's house just to have a little reception before we went home. And I was out in the yard playing football with a a couple of friends. And one of my relatives came out and he grabbed me and he says, hey, get in there with your mother. You're the man of the house now. I know. And the sad reality is you are not a man of the house. You are an 11-year-old little boy who lost his dad. I was still 11. I didn't know how to be man of the house. No, of course not. And you didn't even know how to grieve because I don't think you were asked once, how do you feel now that dad died? Because I think it was just so much focused on your mom and the adults in in your family, not so much the children. You know, in that first grief experience we have as kids, you carry that throughout your life. Absolutely. Well, I think grieving is taught and it's taught just how your family handles certain situations. So hopefully we're making progress and, and I know we're they were doing, talking about it. I know they were doing the best they could. Absolutely. But that's just how it was when we grew up. It is. And I'm just glad that it's starting to change now. We're actually talking to kids about their feelings. 
What was it like in your house? Well, I was taught to have a smile on my face every time I left the house. Don't air your dirty laundry. Nobody, no matter what was going on in that house, when you left, you had a smile. And if you were even upset, and if somebody was to ask you what was wrong, oh, no, 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 everything's fine. Everything's fine. That doesn't mean we bring every problem out into the open. Of course not. It's just that sometimes children's feelings matter. Exactly. Straighten up and fly right, mister. Yeah, turn that frown upside down. Exactly, exactly. Before we get going too much further, we'd just like to let the folks in the audience know a little more about us. Chris, why don't you go first? Sure, thanks. I was born in the Bronx, and I was raised in Rockland County, New York. My entire adult life has been spent taking care of children. I had an at-home daycare business out of our house in White Plains for 20 years, Chris's Kids Family Daycare. After that closed, I taught nursery school, and even since moving down to South Carolina, I'm still taking care of kids, and, and I love it. You know, we had a lot of kids come through our house when you had the daycare business. Yeah. How many would you say? Probably around 200 kids. Wow. I didn't realize it was that many. That's a lot of duck, duck, goose. And a lot of boxes of macaroni and cheese. Indeed. You know, you don't get into the child care business, I guess, if you want to call it a business, for the money. It's a business. It's a business. Okay, it's a business. But you don't do it for the money. No. You do it because you have a passion for kids. Yes. And I know you do. Yes. But what is the most rewarding part of what you did back then? Well, it was the perfect job for me. It still is the perfect job for me. Well, I got to stay at home with our own children, Kim and Scott, for their childhood. Every day I got to feel children's love. And now seeing those children grow into amazing adults, I'm just so proud of them. And I'm so happy because we have stayed in touch with a lot of the kids and we've gone to graduations and to weddings. And now we're seeing them with families of their own. So it has just been a beautiful circle. You know, whenever we run into one of those people who, who were kids then and are adults now that came through the daycare, they always remember it fondly. I know, I know. We had so much fun and we became a kind of family. But that's enough about me. What do you think of me? I was wondering when we were going to get to me. Well, okay, let's talk about <laughs> you now. Tell us about you. Hey, I was raised in the New York City suburbs, as I alluded to before, by a single mom. After high school, shortly after high school, I left for the Army and spent three very interesting and fun years in Europe, in Germany. And then my, re my career afterwards was primarily in sales, and I retired just six months ago. Yes, you did. So how are you enjoying retirement? I love it, and I would recommend retirement to just about anyone. But you do keep me busy with your honey to-do list. Somebody's got to keep this place running. Wait a second. Are we forgetting something? No, we're not. I wrote a book. You wrote a book? I did. Wow. It's called Live, Laugh, Fly. And it is a family's journey through childhood cancer, unmanageable grief, and the realization that love never dies. Well, I shouldn't act surprised because I know you wrote a book. And I've known you up until the time you started writing that book for about 35, 40 years. Yeah. You're not a writer. I am not a writer. <laughs> so what gave you the idea to write a book? I know, just another crazy idea I had. But it began on an early morning flight in a random conversation with a stranger who convinced me I had to write it. Wow, that's mysterious. So 
Sounds like a little nudge from the universe. I think it was. I think it was. Tell everybody what the book is about, Chris. Well, sure. It started out, I started out writing this book about our son, Scott, who, when he was 19 years old, got diagnosed with a very rare cancer, and he passed away when he was 22. And I write about his amazing life and his very brave death and our grief and trying to navigate a life and a world without our son in it. Well, I know the book started out as a story about Scott and his eventual passing and everything that surrounds that, but it turned into so much more. It did. It did. Because in order for people to understand where we are now, I had to go back to the beginning of when we first met. And we had to be completely open and honest about our life before Scott got sick and after he passed away. And a lot of that, it, it wasn't so pretty. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No. But before we give too much away, can you tell us how we're going to plan to tell this story? Well, We've told you a little bit about ourselves now and given you a sneak peek at the book. So what we're going to do on the podcast is each episode, Chris is going to read a little bit of the book that focuses on a particular topic. Today, we're going to send her on the role our son played in helping us with our grief, both before and after his death. Then we'll come back afterwards and discuss the reading. So Chris, are you ready? I am. It's all yours. Take it away. Thank you. This is the prologue and is titled Stranger on a Plane and the year is 2013. I was boarding an early morning flight from Charleston to Philadelphia when I made an unexpected connection. When I reached my row, a woman who appeared to be my age with light brown hair and blue eyes but fewer wrinkles than I was already seated next to the window. We made eye contact and smiled as I took my seat on the aisle. We exchanged sleepy pleasantries and talked about the purpose of our flight. I was headed to upstate New York to help a friend with her therapeutic horseback riding camp, an annual fundraiser. She was going to some sort of work conference in Maine. She explained that in addition to being a registered nurse, she was trained in energy healing and that she'd be attending seminars and classes on the subject. We launched into the usual small talk exchanging names and learning more details about each other's lives. Her name was Diana, and she lived in Somerville, South Carolina. I explained that my husband, Gene, and I were spending the summer in our new condo in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Then she asked me if I had any children. This is always a difficult question for me, and I struggle with an answer. My son, Scott, died at the age of 22. He was diagnosed with a rare cancer called desmoplastic small round cell tumor, and he was just 19. I was aware that if I shared this personal information, it might make her uncomfortable, and we still had an hour left on this flight. However, if I did not mention Scott and only mention my daughter, Kim, I would feel as if I'm betraying him. Each time I share his story, I feel a bit of the pain again, the grief that never goes away. I decided to tell her. I figured I'd never see her again, so I went for it. Yes, I answered. I have a daughter who lives and works in Washington, D.C., and I had a son who passed away two years ago. She turned and looked me straight in the eye. Are you a writer, she asked. Was your son a writer? Confused by her reaction to my sad declaration, I shook my head. 
but she persisted and continued to ask me about writing. At that point, I really didn't know where she was going with this questioning. Why was she so focused on writing? Usually when I said my son died, people nodded their heads and changed the subject. Then she told me she was gifted. I truly had no idea where she was going with all this. She went on to say that Scott was speaking to her, that he was telling her he had sent me many signs to let me know that I was supposed to be writing to help other parents with their grieving. As she spoke, her eyes were open, but she paused often to listen and nod her head. At first, I was a little nervous, but also excited. My son always kept me hopping, and now, even years after his death, he still was. I had watched Long Island Medium on television, and I hoped that I would run into Teresa Caputo. So, he's making work for me, I said, half serious, half joking. She smiled and nodded. I was now paying attention to this message from Scott. She explained that he was using a phrase not commonly used in the South. I got your back, Mom. I got your back. My heart skipped a beat, and I lost my breath as tears filled my eyes. Scott always said that. One of the last times I remember Scott saying this was during his final stages of cancer. We were both laying on his bed listening to the Beatles. He was unable to walk, and he was using the oxygen machine 24 hours a day. When he spoke, it was labored. I told him how much I was going to miss him. I then asked him if he would watch over me. He nodded. I got your back, Mom, he said, then quickly added, but not all the time. Yeah, not all the time, I said, smiling. That would be weird. I laugh when I think of this conversation. That was Scott. The sound of Diana's voice brought me back to the present. She asked me if I was planning a trip to the mountains. After I said no, she communicated that Scott was referencing Asheville or Nashville. That reminded me of a trip planned for later that summer to Nashville to celebrate Jean's 60th birthday. She then said that Scott was showing her a sign for a bridge. On that bridge, he saw me on one end and his dad on the other. He was reminding us that we are to stay in the middle of that bridge. I understood that completely. Knowing that he was dying, Scott told us we could not become a statistic as so many parents who lose a child separate a divorce that we had to stay together. Then he's hugging a dog, she said. I looked at her, tears falling down my cheeks, but I was not sad. I knew this was Scott. Lucy was a chocolate lab we got when Scott was about 12 years old, and Scott loved Lucy. She was his first hugging kiss in the morning and his last at night. During his illness, Lucy was Scott's constant companion. While he was sick, Scott gained a maturity beyond his years and was aware of his impending death. He had made his request regarding his wake, memorial, and cremation very clear. He wanted us to donate his eyes and then have his body cremated. His wake was to be only one day, and we would only have pictures of him present, not his ashes. He knew Lucy was getting old. So he wanted us to cremate her when her time came and put their ashes together. He then wanted us to climb to the top of Half Dome, jump off when we reached the top and spread the ashes halfway down. He was totally serious. I offered him another idea. Or we could take a walk to Half Dome, find a beautiful spot and spread you and Lucy there. He reluctantly agreed 
And two years after he died, that's exactly what we did. Life is strange. When we least expect it, someone can be placed in front of us who can give just a bit of clarity to our inner turmoil and provide the hope we need that there is plan and maybe even a reason. Since Scott got sick, I had struggled to make sense of why this had happened and to answer Scott when he asked, why me? The alternative question, why not us, also begged an answer. But as I talked to Diana over the course of our plane ride, the spiritual journey I had been on and continued to be on came into clear focus. Rather than railing against fate, maybe I needed to sit back and look at what was in front of me. It had been two years since my son Scott had died from cancer, and this stranger helped me see that maybe he was closer than I thought, that maybe our loved ones never really leave us. When I got to Philadelphia, I called Jean to tell him about the plane ride. Of course, he was a little skeptical. We agreed to think about the message that Scott was sending and discuss it later. That night, when Gene and I finally got a chance to talk, I told him that I had to write the story, and he offered his support and help, including writing a few sections from his own perspective. So here goes. This is our story. This is <clears throat> this is our story indeed. Um, you know, when I hear that passage. There's so much going on. Oh, there is. So much going on. It was intense. So much to unpack. But you've had this un unusual conversation with the lady on the plane, yes, Diana. And you're, you're leaving the plane. You're walking through the gate, heading for your connection. What were you thinking when you were alone with your thoughts? Well, I was just so happy, happy to be able to talk about Scott because I love talking about him. But so often when I mention that I had a son that passed away, People get uncomfortable and they'll try to change the subject. And I see them shifting in their seats. So that makes me uncomfortable. So it felt really good to be talking about him. Also, when she said that oh, Scott was sending us signs, I knew exactly what she was talking about because that's what we had been going through in our home for the past couple of years. And it began soon after Scott passed away when all I could do was make our way to the front porch, me and Lucy, and I would just sit there and I would just sob and I would look up and I would just say, Scott, are you okay? Are you okay? And immediately I felt he was answering us with some sort of sign. And this was happening every time I was crying out for him, every time. So what I did was, because we're getting older and I don't want to forget, is that I had a notebook and I wrote down the date and I wrote down what the sign was. And also when she told us certain private conversations that were happening in our home, but conversations between me, you, Kim and Scott, nobody would have known about. Oh. So speaking with her, I was happy, but I was also excited because I felt something was happening. Something really cool was happening. Yeah, something was in the works, that's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I really relate to the what you said about the uncomfortability of speaking to others and how yeah. some people just shy away from the conversation right. of, a, of a deceased loved one um, right. for whatever reason. I, who knows? Who knows why? But you really come to understand certain people are going to talk to you about it and others are not. Right. And in the beginning, I, I think I know I did. 
Um, sometimes I take it personally if mm -hmm. people were uncomfortable and they're shifting and I would take it very personally, but just through the years, I have learned not to take it personally that that's just how uncomfortable they are. Right, right. So they have their own work to do. So um, the one time you travel alone, look what happens. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know because I never travel alone. And I left as a babysitter. And when I returned, I had plans on becoming an author. What did you think, though, when I called you from Philly? Well, it was mid-morning when my phone rang. Mm -hmm. And I looked down and I saw there was you on the line. And uh, you went, uh oh. Yep, it was too early. It was too early for you to <laughs> be in happened. New York. So yeah. something happened in between. Yeah. And what I figured it was was either you were lost in the Philadelphia airport. Yeah. That or could something, happen. Something happened and you missed your connection. Whatever. Something. Something, something travel related. Happened. Yeah. And uh, so I picked up the phone and I heard your voice on the other end and yeah. you sounded happy. You yeah. sounded excited. And uh, you, you explained the conversation that you had with Scott through Diana. And, uh, of course, at first I was very skeptical. Uh, you know, I was asking you all, who is this woman? You know, what, what did she want? What did she want? Did you give her money? <laughs> did you, how much money did she want from you? <laughs> and it was nothing like that. And um, the more you told me, the more excited I became. Yeah. Because I was looking to hang on to something, too. Yeah. Um, so I knew that you had a flight to catch soon. So we did, it was a really kind of a short conversation, but the moment you hung up, of course, I Googled Diana's name and her, uh, business that was mm -hmm. up in Somerville, I guess, where it was. And sure enough, there she was. Yeah. And, um, so I look forward to talking to you later in the evening. Oh yeah. Well, I knew you were going to be Googling her. So I, of course I, I was, of course, so I wasn't even giving that a thought, but I have thought about, when I left the plane and Diana left the plane and how she probably didn't give our conversation a second thought. And I, I don't think she would ever even recognize me, but yet that conversation changed our life. Well, it said, said a project in motion. It that's sure for sure. Did. And who knows whether she, she remembers you or not, you know, maybe it had an impact on her as well. It could very well have, but um, regardless, regardless, that's how the book came about. Um, and now, the thing is, she lives probably close to the area. So let's, on your honey to-do list, let's put it down, find her, and let's give her a book and thank her. Great idea. I'm putting it at the top of my list. <laughs> Starting now. Starting now. <laughs> so, so you've got this idea to write the book and yes. you come home. Mm -hmm. But there had to be a deciding factor, something that happened or something you thought of that said, yes, I have to write this book. I know. It's got to get done. Well, there was, but before that, when I first started thinking, I have to write a book, um, I, I, I mean, I was overwhelmed. It was just like, no, no, he's making work for me. No, this is, I'm not a writer. What are you doing? When I don't have to write a book. And I remember just thinking about that and just all the work that's going to have to go into this, which I was not into. But I remembered a conversation that I had many years ago with our former pastor. And I remembered asking him, what was a calling? Did you hear a voice? Can you describe what a calling is? And he told me that it was a feeling inside, deep inside, a knowing that you just had to do something. So when Scott told Diana that I had to write this book, I knew that's what I had to do. I knew it. And I also know that this is my calling. 
Yeah, it was your calling. Yeah. Now, did you write the idea, the book with the idea that it was going to help you heal? Oh, not at all. And I really, to be honest with you, writing the book was not healing at all. First of all, it was so hard to do because I'm not a writer. And it took me seven years to write this book because the memories would be so painful that I would sometimes be on the floor just crying and crying. And I would just have to put the book away for months at a time, months. And then when I felt stronger, I would go back to it and I would write again because I knew that's what I had to do. And I remember one time when I, one of my feeling stronger moments, I started giggling and I remember saying to a friend, if Oprah ever asked me, was writing the book cathartic? I'm going to have to tell her, hell no, because during the time it wasn't. But now in looking back and in seeing those signs and knowing that I was following this incredible path, I am so grateful that I did this. And I am so happy I did this because from that pain, from that pain, I can see clearly so much joy and I feel so much love and I have so much gratitude for everything that I have, especially being Scott's mom. You know, you say the joy part, there were so many instances throughout his illness that were joyful. Absolutely. That were just, and, and gifts that yeah. we got that we probably wouldn't have, maybe we would have had them, but we wouldn't have recognized them. Or appreciated Or appreciated them yeah. as much. I think so. You know, but I do remember also the process of writing the book mm -hmm. and seeing you sitting in the, on the couch with your knees up in front of you and a yellow legal pad leading against mm -hmm. your knees and you're writing with a pen or a pencil. In long and, hand. In long hand. And, um, you would say, use the computer. Use no, it's too confusing. <laughs> and, um, in long hand. You know, every once in a while, it would you you just throw it up and say, I can't do this anymore. It's just, it's just too painful. Yeah. And you'd put it in the drawer and there it would sit for a period of time. And then you'd think of something else and, you know, it's got to be in the book. And you'd pull yeah. it out and you'd start writing all over. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's, and that's just how it went. That was how the process went. That was my process. That was your process. <laughs> yeah. Well, it worked. You know, it look, we've got a book and, you know, you know, and people are reading it and relating to it. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Um, do you think Scott was with you when you wrote the book? Oh, I absolutely know he was with me. He was, he was with me the entire way. First of all, he is the one who told me I had to write a book. It was his idea. I was good with the notebook. And also, he handed me the signs. I just kept my eyes open, and I followed the path that was in front of me. And I'm so glad that Scott and I did this together. Yep, you did. Yeah. You know, and you talk about it, it was his idea. You know, um, it was a good idea. It was a good idea. It's one of his better ones. But let me say this. One you know, he had a lot of crazy ideas, too. <laughs> this, I think, is considered a crazy one, too. This might be. But remember the time him and his 16-year-old friends had the idea that they were going to go sail the Caribbean together? Great idea. You know, four of them on a sailboat. None of them had ever sailed before. No, what an adventure. What it was an adventure for four 16-year-olds. That's right. And he only needed $1,800 to That's cover all. his share. That's all. You know, just $1,800. Don't even worry about it because he'll pay us back. Pay us back, yeah. Yeah. 
where are you working? I'll get a job when I get Don't back. Don't worry about it. He's got to now plan the trip. I can't get a job can't now. Get a job I'm, going now. I'm going to the Caribbean. That's right. Well, <laughs> we're getting close to the end of the uh, podcast. And thank you for the reading, Chris. And tell us one more time where we can get your book. Yes. Live, Laugh, Fly is available on Amazon. And 100% of proceeds will right. benefit Children's Cancer Program. Every single penny. Yes. And going forward, we would love to add your thoughts to the conversation. Hopefully, you related to something we talked about here today or have some other topic that relates to grief that we could talk about. Absolutely. We would love, love to hear from you and hear, from you, hear your experiences. So as we close... And we end this episode, our very first episode. Our very first very episode. first episode. You must have a message for our listeners, one last nugget for them. Well, I would just like everyone to know that our loved ones, they're with us, they're guiding us. They want us to be happy. So talk to them and listen for them because love never dies. Love never dies. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Sure.